Today on Ag News Daily. There's a lot, I think, and especially in the last year, we've just seen some absolutely eye-popping numbers out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, just wild activity at auctions. So, so, yeah, it's been a crazy year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Ag News Daily podcast. It is Tech Tuesday today, sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. I'm Delaney Howell, joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it's been a little while since we last chatted. Did you have a good holiday weekend? I did, Delaney. I don't know if you're a Marvel fan, but I'm kind of on a a Marvel journey right now, watching everything basically beginning to end in timeline order. So I did a little bit of that this weekend. Okay. I'm not into those movies, but that's good. I'm glad you are. We got, well, as you know, we talked to Eric last week. So game is no surprise to those of us not located in Iowa, but here in Iowa, we got about, I don't know, I want to guesstimate maybe eight inches of snow on Friday. So it is definitely covered in white still here. And I did something really stupid, Ashton, on Friday when the snow was coming. Oh, gosh. Did you drive? Did you get in an accident? No, no, I didn't. Okay, maybe it's not that stupid. It was more just like kind of a waste of time. But Blaine was driving home from visiting some customers out in Michigan. So he kind of got hit with some of the storms on Friday night when he was driving through Iowa City. And I was thinking, oh, I'll be a good fiance and get the driveway ready for him so that he can see it really well because we had had a lot of snow at that point. So Friday night, maybe it was like five o'clock, five 30, I go out and start shoveling snow. And by the time he got home a couple hours later, the driveway was completely covered again. So I'd wasted probably 45 minutes to an hour shoveling snow to no avail. So that was my waste of time. I got a good workout in out of it though. (laughs) Delaney, I've got to say, I, when you started that story, I thought you were going to talk about how you had slipped and fell and I giggled to myself. Oh no, (laughs) thankfully not. I I'm one of those people that if somebody falls, I I make sure they're okay, but I can't help but laugh. That's okay. I would have laughed at me too, but no, I didn't fall all is well. I definitely was sore the next day. My back was a little sore from shoveling snow Um, But otherwise, all is good. Everything is white here and cold. Well, I'm sorry that it's cold, Delaney. I think our high today was 71. So we're a little bit warmer than you are. And I'm grateful that we're warm because I'm going to be standing outside for mm, maybe an hour or two trying to get into the Texas Tech basketball game later tonight. We're playing Iowa State I think mm-hmm. it'll be a good game. We've done really well this season so far. People, I think, are getting pretty antsy leading up to our UT game. That's week after next. So I think there's going to be a lot of people there. So I'm going to be standing out line for a while trying to get into that game, I think. Well, Ashton, you know, we've got a lot of Iowa State fans that listen to the podcast. So you're cheering for the wrong team tonight. I know, I know. I'm going to be wearing red. So Iowa State has red in their colors as well, right? That's true. I, I mm-hmm. thought so. Yep. I just wanted to make sure, but I'm kind of supporting both teams in theory, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll let it slide, but it'll be an interesting game. I'm sure we'll have it on the TV here tonight. Explains a big Iowa State fan. And I obviously feel it's hard for me to cheer for this game because I. L- 
honestly like both teams. Obviously, Texas Tech got a lot of my dollars through grad school. So I have mixed feelings about who to cheer for tonight as well. But Ashton, I suppose we better dive into some news today since that is what people came to hear from us. And we've got some updates here on the avian influenza It is officially touched U.S. shores now. As of last week, January 14th, the first U.S. case of the Euro-Asian H5 avian influenza strain was documented in South Carolina by USDA's Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, a.k.a. APHIS, which is the first case of its kind since 2016. They said that the culprit of this recent case that they have clocked was noted because of a wild duck hunted in Colleton County, I think is how you pronounce it there in South Carolina. So it's obviously still very low risk with zero human infections and it only have being found now in one bird. But the largest outbreak of bird flu ever recorded was, of course, back in 2015. And we certainly don't want to see that touch U.S. shores again, because that certainly did decimate U.S. poultry producers across the entire U.S. So a little soon to raise the red flags here, but we certainly have uh, gotten an update and there is a case reported and confirmed. And I still think that we're taking this pretty seriously because APHIS did say that anyone involved in poultry production, whether that's a small backyard kind of farms or large commercial producers, that they should review their biosecurity measures. So I think they're taking this still pretty seriously, nonetheless, Delaney. But I wanted to go back and talk about yields in 2021. And Delaney, we've been talking about yields for some time now since harvest has well been over. But it was reported earlier, I believe today, that there were 13 states that had record corn yields including Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, and a couple of others across the country here. And the U.S. average was also up. And when we're looking at soybeans, they had a record number for states like Alabama, Delaware, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, and some other states that are really towards the eastern portion of the country. Although our U.S. average wasn't up for soybean yields, I think it made for a pretty good year overall. So I just kind of wanted to start off on a nice good news foot today. And Ashton, I think if I'm not mistaken, those numbers are from an AgWeb article that pulled them directly from the latest crop production numbers noted in last week's WASI report, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct, Delaney. They had some interesting graphics on there that they also pulled from USDA. So if anybody does want to go and look a little bit further into those numbers, they can do so at AgWeb. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, usually the January report is where we see some of those final acreage numbers, acreage production numbers come out. However, in years past, we have seen them adjust numbers as late as, you know, a couple months to a year past that point. You know, you look at the derecho storm that happened last year, it took them quite some time to update and change production numbers after the derecho. So while these are, let's just say final, let's put an asterisk next to that final. I agree with you, Delaney. We'll put a little asterisk there. 
Well, Ashton, one thing we don't have to put an asterisk next to is Brazil's planting and harvesting pace. We have officially seen the kickoff of the 2022 soybean crop there in Brazil, estimated to reach just 1.7% harvested as of this weekend. And so this pace is still very early on in the growing season, obviously at just under 2% harvested, but is on track to where they started last year for this time. So, you know, we talked with Eric Snodgrass on Friday last week, chatting a lot about weather and what to expect as far as rainfall goes in some of those key growing areas. And after enduring about 40 to 50 days of some below average rainfall in Argentina, Uruguay, and southern Brazil, a cold front stalled over Argentina and is finally delivering above normal rainfalls. And I pulled that directly from Eric Snodgrass's daily weather update today. So, so much so that some of the rain that's come now in some of these key areas, Ashton, has actually caused flooding in Argentina and Uruguay because of some of these aggressive rainfalls that have happened here over the weekend. So certainly could see the flip side now of seeing floods and potentially delayed harvest due to some rainfall. Well, Delaney, I'm going to bring things back here to the U.S. because we have a new announcement from the EPA. The agency says that it is now taking more steps to comply with the Endangered Species Act when evaluating and registering new pesticide active ingredients. The EPA says that this new policy will reverse decades of practice by consistently assessing the potential effects of conventional pesticides on listed species when registering new active ingredients. This new policy went into effect on January 11th, and it should reduce litigation against the EPA for insufficient protections of endangered species and improve the legal defensibility of new active ingredients, which they say often have lower human health and ecological risks than older pesticides. So I thought that that was just a little bit of an interesting announcement that we saw really go into effect last week. Absolutely, Ashton. And before I get to my next piece of news here, I'd like to take a quick pause and hear an update from FMC, our sponsor for today's podcast. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, as I dive into my last piece of news here, I wanted to flip our attention over to the biofuels industry, but more specifically, diesel as a biofuel. Because according to Reuters today, a new third-party consultancy group put out an update that they anticipate less than half of projected U.S. renewable diesel output will be likely by 2025. And they noted that many plants are switching facilities to be able to process waste and vegetable oils and turn them into renewable fuels. However, the timeline to get that increased by 2025 is fairly aggressive. 
The EIA estimates renewable diesel production capacity in the United States could increase actually up to fivefold by 2024 from a billion gallons currently to more than 5 billion gallons per year. But this third party group, I'm going to probably not pronounce the name correctly. I think it's pronounced serology estimated that the projects are more likely to yield approximately 2 billions of total renewable diesel production capacity by 2025. So at least 2 billion gallons of already announced capacity additions are likely to be delayed, canceled, or downsized. And achieving these EIA predictions would be what they're saying exceedingly difficult and require relying heavily on feedstock imports and a very significant reduction in production of biodiesel to meet some of these initiatives. So certainly a little bit of a mixed messaging there. I think you're exactly right, Delaney. A lot to digest when we think about those kinds of things. And another thing that's really taken the the world by storm here and a lot to digest, of course, is the fertilizer prices and really what's been going on there. But CHS expects that fertilizer prices are going to come down this year. Kevin Doyle, who is a sales manager with CHS, says that this really depends on commodity. But when they think about it, we're at the high end of the market, but we'll head downhill as we get into midsummer and fall. Doyle also said that the market should correct itself because what we're experiencing and what they say regularly is that this is a once in a lifetime thing. We haven't seen this before. We do think that over time it will even out and balance out. And of course, he says that natural gas directly influenced fertilizer prices on the world stage and fixing that could be the fastest solution for us. And as that, this is a geopolitical issue. So I thought that this was an interesting take and I'm excited to see if we actually see this prediction come true come midsummer and fall. Yeah, and I think a lot of producers are going to be watching that as well to see who's going to be right here, because we're getting a lot of mixed messages from a lot of different sources as to what the future of soil fertilizer holds in the marketplace. But one thing we don't have to guess on is where today's commodity prices ended for today. What do you say we hop in here, Ashton, and take a look? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, we certainly had some mixed trade today after Opening from the three-day holiday weekend, of course, markets were closed yesterday for MLK Day, and they opened today mixed. March corn up three and a quarter cent, closing at five ninety-nine and a half. The Dees shed a half a penny to close at five fifty-seven and three quarters. Soybeans showed weakness today as the March contract ended eight and a half cents lower, closing at thirteen sixty-one and a quarter. November down nine cents, closing the day out at twelve eighty-four. Wheat had some pretty big moves to the upside today as the March contract shed 27 and a half cents, closing at 769. The May added 25 and three quarters cents, closing at 770 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw some mixed trade in protein as well. February live cattle shed 30 cents, settling the day at 137.67. The April down 27 and a half cents, closing at a buck 41. 
In the feeder cattle markets today, that weakness continues as the March contract shed 95 cents, closing at 165.42 and a half. The April down 77 and a half cents, ending the day at 169.57. And in lean hogs today, we saw some slight strength. February adding 70 cents, closing the day at 81.60. The April up 82 and a half cents, closing at 89.27 and a half. And lastly, closing things out here with the class three dairy milk futures. The February today down 43 cents, closing at 21.65. The March added a penny, closing at 22.44. Without further ado, Ashen, let's kick it over to our conversation with Acre Trader. Well, today we are talking to Carter Malloy, who is the CEO and founder of Acre Trader. Carter, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Thanks for having me here. So, Carter, before we get started talking about Acre Trader, farmland values, all interesting things, let's hear a little bit more about you. I suspect that's interesting as well. Uh, to, you know, to my mom, maybe, uh, but maybe not many other people than that. <laughs> Uh, so I, I've probably similar to many people on your show. I, I grew up in a farming family uh, here in Arkansas, where, where I, I currently live. Uh, a little bit different career path, and I spent a dozen years as a, a professional investor, uh, focused really on technology companies. And during that career, in the background, I've been working with my my dad, and and then buying and selling some farms, and. Uh, became just fascinated with with this industry uh, and, and really some of the, the the level of opacity around there around farmland sales uh, and and you know ultimately thought is there a way that we could build technology to to bring forth solutions that give everyone a better shake right so to produce better outcomes uh, for for growers buyers sellers etc and so that was really the uh, how how Acre Trader was born as a company uh, and today we're we're about 70 people growing very quickly. You just, just close our series B. So really excited about what's to come. Carter, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about how your background in finance and investing propelled you to decide to start Acre Trader. Yeah, the, the simple answer is I, I had other friends that were also interested in, in agriculture and farming and investing in farmland in particular. And there was no real great way for them to to gain access to the asset class uh, and and so you know really just got got to thinking about uh, what, what we could build as a, as a company to help connect you know ultimately like pretty pretty simple growers and people with with uh investment dollars and, and that's really what uh what the business is born out of so I want to know a little bit more about how it works because you're helping farmers, you know, you're helping your clients that you have. So how exactly are you helping them? How does Acre Trader work? Give us a little bit about that. So we have, we have two separate constituents on our platform, the, the uh, demand side and supply side, right? So, so demand side is uh, folks investing capital and, and supply side is uh, land itself. <clears throat> and, and we have lots of tools in the middle there that, that help to facilitate the transaction and take care of all of the, the crazy things in the background. For the investors, it's very simple. You come on and you can choose a parcel at any time. So, so that works is a, a parcel of land goes in a unique LLC. And then you as an investor can come on the platform and rather than buying a $3 million piece of land in central Illinois, you can you can invest $15,000 in that, in that piece of land, uh, as, as an example. We do that in 15 different states. And, and 
for, for the investors, again, it's, it's very simple. And we have a, a farm or two every week, a new, a new farm or two every week they can come on and choose from to invest. For the growers uh, as well, that's that's primarily where uh, most of like like very much most of the land we we invest in comes from. Uh, the growers we build partnerships with with individual farmers around the country that, that are looking to grow their business, and and they'll partner with us to be a capital source to help them uh, to help them grow. So we our our team here speaks to folks every day, you know, to let them know what we're up to, and we're looking for certain size farmers in certain areas. And then those, those farmers may see some, some land come up for sale. Uh, they, they may know a retiring landowner and call us and say, Hey, I've got an opportunity to purchase some land. I would, I would love to, uh, I would love to farm this land. It's near where I am today. And so then we'll work with that land seller and, and see if we can put something together. We have all kinds of creative solutions uh, for that, for that situation, for that farmer. And ultimately we often have farmers come invest on our platform as well. So it, it turns into a real win-win. And, and through that primary construct, we've we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars into rural communities around the U.S. And we're, we're very proud of the fact that we've been able to create some great outcomes for the farmers we work with. And Kerner, as you look at this space, obviously, farmland is such a fantastic asset because usually it appreciates in value. But as you look at this space in general, you know, in private investors coming into the ag space or into the farmland space is becoming a little bit more cluttered. How does Acre Trader compare to some of those competing organizations out there and what makes you guys different? I think a, a, a myriad of factors for, for both uh, types of people we work with, both for the investors, because you can have access with much lower minimums than you know, putting a million dollars into a, a, a private equity fund. And, and for the farmers as well, uh, we, we tend to work on the smaller end. So the, the private equity fund may come in and only work with the farmer that's got 20,000 acres under management uh, because they want to buy another 10,000 acres in that area. Uh, we we are, are very different. We see the, the far larger market opportunity as, as working with the, uh, the grower that may be on a couple thousand acres or a thousand acres. Or, you know, shoot, in California, 500 acres is a, is a, a lot uh, to, to grow permanent crops on. And, and so... We, uh, it's a, it's a primary point of differentiation is we're, we're out looking for much smaller assets, kind of the $1 million to $5 million type of investment range, uh, where, where those funds often, uh, don't compete. And, and the other is, is we, we come at the industry in a very different manner and that we're, we're not, uh, coming in to, to buy these huge tracts of land and squeeze out every last dollar, uh, for, for cash flow on that piece of land. We would much rather, again, come at it with a farmer that we know is a good farmer and is going to be a good partner, a good steward of the land. And uh, you know, we're we're less concerned with the extra twenty dollars in rent uh, to get off the land than we are. Is this the right business partner to have uh, for a long time on this land? Well, Carter, I am going to go ahead and just put a quick pause on our conversation here, so we can hear a bit more from today's sponsor. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
So Carter, earlier you mentioned um, something about, you know, across the U.S. So is AcreTrader working in one specific area? Do you have things, you know, in the majority of states? And maybe for the future, do you plan to extend to around the world? Uh, yes. So we primary areas of, of focus for row crops are where you would expect. This is the, the Midwest and the, Del- the Mississippi Delta. We then we do have, you know, we've got uh, organic vegetables in New York. So we've, we've got pecans in Georgia. Uh, so we certainly stretch around to some maybe less, uh, you know, concentrated farming areas, but, but some, there's some pockets we're really excited about. Uh, and then on the West Coast, uh, you know, we're, we're interested in the entire West Coast and we've got a, got a number of investors out there, investments out there that tend to be more, however, permanent crops, which, as you know, are a, a very different animal uh, than, than row crops. So we, uh, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, right, we've, we've bought hundreds of millions of dollars of farmland, something like up, upwards of like $100 billion of farmland is bought and sold in the U.S. every year. So we are a teeny, 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 tiny relative to uh, the, the larger U.S. industry. Beyond that, uh, we, we absolutely uh, will, will expand internationally. We've, we've done a, a couple of offerings in Australia, and, and there's there several geographies that we find fascinating where uh, they have good agricultural, uh, a good setup for growing, I should say, uh, and, and also great title laws that, that we can become uh, comfortable with. Cardi, obviously we work with a lot of producers, a lot of farmers listen to our podcasts. So I think, you know, a lot of those topics that they probably geek out on are interesting farmland sales or farmland transactions that you've ran across in your time with Acre Trader. Are there any stories or farms that really come to light in your head as being interesting, you know, from any sort of stance, whether it's location, geography, story, anything like that, that stands out to you? There's a lot, I think, and especially in the last year, because we've just seen some absolutely eye-popping numbers out mm-hmm. there uh, absolutely and, and and you know just wild activity at auctions so so yeah it's been a crazy year uh, i could say so we also have a uh, a farmland brokerage business where we help people uh, just, just give them more information uh, than, than is often otherwise available in, in the world of brokerage that business is called acre pro uh the example there uh, one of our agents just sold some recreational ground in, in illinois um, in the in the low teens of thousands per acre, uh, so so we're we're seeing some pretty fascinating stories out there to uh, to say the least. So it's it's, it's definitely an, an interesting time. Uh, and then specifically, you mentioned data as well uh, and information on land sales and things like that. Uh, we are we we have an internal tool we use. We became really really tired of, of all the various mapping software out there. Uh, and it's shortcoming. So we, we built our own. We've got a team of uh, 10 or 12 software engineers working on that right now. Uh, we will release that to the public here in the next couple of months. It's, it's currently available in, in beta. It's called Acre Maps, um, just like you're, you're drawing a map. So Acre Maps is our internal software tool that we're going to uh, give away to the market. Uh, so again, we're, we're big believers in transparency and information. And so we want uh, the landowners we work with, investors we work with, et cetera, uh, to, to really understand understand the market and get a deeper understanding. And so things like comparable sales are, are in there uh, as well as tons of other descriptors of, of land. So we're, yeah, we, we, we share lots of stories and lots of data and, and we're, 
excited to keep doing that and growing our business. Well, Carter, if any of our listeners are interested in getting involved, where can they find you guys at online? AcreTrader.com is our is our uh, primary business. AcreMaps.com, I just mentioned as well, is a, a, a new but really exciting piece of technology. Uh, so come come check us out uh, at AcreTrader.com. There's a there's sections for investors. There's also a large section for for farmers and how all the different ways that we work with farmers. Uh, we encourage people to call us. We are uh, we are not from Wall Street. We're not out here from Silicon Valley. We we are in Arkansas, and uh, many or most of us come from farming families and better or worse, people track mud into the office every week on their boots. So uh, we we really, really enjoy speaking with, with growers and we'll, we'll just ask you to, to give us a call and uh, we'll have a conversation. Awesome. Well, Carter, thank you again once more for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks so much. Thanks again there to Carter um, Acre Trader coming on and chatting with us. Of course, we've been watching the news coming out about farmland values and what's going on there. So it was a pretty timely conversation. It certainly was, Ashton. I'm glad we were able to snag that Tech Tuesday interview for our listeners today. And we've got some really great conversations coming up later this week. I'm excited about as well. So folks, do stay tuned with us. We've got a lot we're bringing you. You can find all of our past conversations at agnewsdaily.com, or you can interact with us on social media. Find us at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, without, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.